Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, thank you for who you are today. We thank you for um, that you are just an awesome God. And as, as Steve reminded us uh, just a few moments ago, you are a God who can do anything, uh, much more than we can ever ask or think or imagine, uh, that you are amazing in all of your ways. And Lord, we ask that you would come this morning, come by your Spirit. Lord, I, in fact, I ask that the sevenfold uh, spirit of the Lord would come upon us. The spirit of, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. That you would rest upon us this morning. That you would um, make yourself known in in various ways. That you would teach us. That you would give us the wisdom and understanding, the revelation knowledge that that you want us to have. Lord, more than anything, we ask that you would you would speak to us in a way that it would change us, that it would change our hearts. If there's anything that's uh, uh, unre- uh, in any way our thinking is not right, then we need to change the way we look at things. Lord, change that in us. If there's any sin that needs to be convicted that we need to repent of, Lord, change that in us. Convict us and bring us closer to you. Lord, if there are things that we are not doing that we should be doing, show us what those are, that we might walk fully in your might and your power. Lord, if, there's, if there are things that we need to do, uh, that we're doing wrong, that we need to stop, Lord, if, and you need to direct our path differently, Lord, show us what those are. More than anything, Lord, we want to be submitted to you, just as Jesus was submitted and said, I, I only do what I see the Father doing, I only speak what I see the, uh, hear the Father saying, Lord, let it be the same with us, that we walk so fully in your spirit that, that uh, we are your represent, representatives here on the earth. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, find in your Bibles uh, Joshua chapter 2, the book of Joshua chapter 2. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. As a, um, as a kind of a caveat, I, I don't normally like to throw caveats in, in front, but uh, I do want to throw this out here this morning. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about fear, and there's two types of fear. Uh, we all know that um, fear is not of the Lord. Right? We know that scripture. We know the scripture that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and sound mind. There's a fear that comes from uh, the devil. All right? Let's face it. It's, it's, it's a fear that's not healthy. It's a fear that is um, something that we all should be rid of. It's a fear that if it pops up in your life, get it out. It's not going to help at all. But in turn, there is a healthy fear. There is a fear that the Lord brings. Oftentimes that fear will bring, um, it'll bring us to our knees. It'll bring people to salvation. It'll, it will keep us from doing the things that we shouldn't. Or it might you know, give us the courage to, uh, to go further in the Lord. And that is the fear of the Lord. It is a healthy fear. So most of what I'm going to be talking about today is that sort of fear. So when I'm talking about fear and get people getting fear, I'm not talking about the, the fear that comes from the, from the devil. I'm not talking about the fear that 
hinders us. I'm talking about the fear that helps us. Everybody cool with that? Yeah. All right, thank you. So just going to put that out there and make sure everybody's like, boy, he's, he's, he's putting fear on us. No, 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 I'm not, okay? I'm saying we need to operate in the fear that comes from the Lord. Amen. Okay? So Joshua chapter 2. Uh, we saw uh, last week uh, the Israelites are on the other side of the Jordan River. They've finally gotten through the 40 years in the wilderness, you know, making laps around the mountain and really learning the things that they didn't in the first place. And remember, um, and we'll get to a little bit more of this later, but remember, uh, they'd been at this point before. They'd come to the, to the Jordan River before, and Moses sent 12 spies into the, into the uh, Promised Land. And they came back, and they said, Boy, it's a, it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. The, uh, the, you know, I can just kind of imagine, you said they, they carried a bunch of, of grapes you know, between two people. I'm like thinking, you know, they've got these clusters of grapes that they can barely hold. You know, they said, it's, it's incredible, beautiful land. The fruit is amazing. But there's giants in the land. And remember, uh, ten of the spies brought back a bad report. They said, there's no way we can go in and take the land. No way whatsoever. We, well, if we go in there, they're going to kill us. It'll be bad. It's awful. Even though it's great and beautiful, there's no way we can do it. If you remember the story, I'm sure you, sure you do. Joshua and Caleb were uh, two of those 12, and they brought back the good report. And they said, look, if God has brought us this far, he'll bring us in, and it's going to, uh, you know, we will inherit the land just like God said. As you know, the people sided with the 10, and God said, take another lap for 40 years until that generation died off in the wilderness. And so they're back there at the same point, and Joshua... You know, some people say, I've heard somebody say, you know, he learned and didn't send 12, he just sent two. Because the, you know, the two brought back a good report. I, I, don't, I don't know. But he sent two spies into the wilderness to say, okay, go in and check it out. See what's there and, and, and bring back a report. So they go, they go in and they come to the first major city. They come to Jericho. And Jericho, we'll talk a little bit more in, in later weeks about what Jericho looks like, uh, because it is a hugely walled city. Now, I often, th- I, as, especially as a kid, until I, I looked at it a little bit more, I thought Jericho was a big place, you know, and these huge, tremendous walls, and it really was probably about six acres of land. Okay, it's not, it was not a huge place. It, the, the wall is probably, I've, I've seen, you know, half a mile-ish around. So it's not a great big place. It could, it could house around 2,000 people. Now, there would be people that lived around the city that in case of an attack, they'd go into the city. So, you know, that 2,000 would probably go up from there. Uh, but not a huge place. However, the wall was amazing. It, um, it was about six feet thick. It had one section that was about 20 to 26 feet high and then raised up on top of that. So it was about, I think, total from what they found was about 46 feet high. So when you're talking a civilization that doesn't yet have a lot of mechanical things, um, it's a pretty daunting task. They would have to, most, most of the time in that, that situation, you just camp outside, don't let anybody in or out and just starve the people out. 
but that's a very long process. So it's not something that the Israelites could come up to and say, oh yeah, we're just going to scale the wall. That's not a problem. It wasn't. It, it, it was a big problem, even though there's a lot more Israelites than the people in Jericho. So it's not something that they could um, get over very, very easily. So the, the Israelites send the two people and the two spies, and they go into Jericho. And they come to a harlot's house named Rahab. Now, somehow or another, the king of Jericho had found out that these men came in. And so he went to, he went to, the, to Rahab and said, where are these guys? Bring them out. They've come to spy out the land. They've come to find where we're not fortified. They've come, they've come in to, to find out how they can conquer us. Now, Rahab does something a little bit, well, some people would say it's sketchy. Well, because she lies. Now, we, we know that lying is, is not always the best policy. However, in this case, what she was doing was protecting the people of God. And she is, in turn, also making a statement that she is putting God first. So, what I would see this ethically, she's doing the right thing, even though it looks like she's not quite doing the right thing. Because she tells the king, she said, look, they did come to me, but they left, right? As this, the gate was about to be closed, they took off. If you all go and hurry right now, you're going to overtake them. So they say, okay, we'll do it. So they all take off. Meanwhile, she's hidden the, the two spies up on top of the house. And they've, they've gone in and, and uh, been covered up with flax. We can tell a little bit from this. Um, so it looks like kind of guessing maybe a little but her family uh, as well as her occupation uh, they probably done some farming uh, it looked like that she both from the story and from having the flax there they were on the city wall they probably had a rope or something that they brought the flax in the flax was uh, a thing that they would uh, probably sell to people and in turn would make clothes garments uh, maybe even uh, priestly garments for um, for whatever their worship was. So they were uh, more than likely farming. Do we know they were on the wall? And uh, the spies went up there to hide underneath this flax that was drying. Now, when when Rahab comes up to talk to the spies, you have to understand um, this this little section of, of Ray, the Rahab's, Rahab's speech here is one of the longest speeches by any woman recorded in the entire scripture. So this is significant. And Rahab, okay, number one, she is not a Jew. She is a Canaanite. And it says that she is a prostitute. And yet, God sees to it that one of the longest uh, speeches from a woman in all of Scripture is given to her. Not only that, we, we will see, you'll see actually later what God is doing through this in, the entire thing, which is, is so amazing. You, you talk about the little A author that, you know, probably Joshua put this all together. But the big A author, God, was making sure that we saw his hand in the midst of this entire process. Because as you find out and as you go through, 
um, Rahab ends up in the line of Christ, married to a guy named uh, Salmon, who is the great-great-grandfather of David. Now, I will, I will tell you, some scholars think, eh, was it the same Rahab? Most people say, yeah. You know, that's why this whole thing, that's why God has put this in here, is because he's showing how redeeming of a God he is. That he can take somebody from Canaan, who's a prostitute, who is a, a woman, and let me tell you, it, it, during that time, women were second rate, okay? They were second class uh, citizens, Okay, I, and God's redeemed all that, but at that time, that's the way it was. And so God is taking this, and he's elevating, and he's bringing out, and he's bringing forth salvation. And what her speech is, is amazing. She goes up to the, to the two spies, and she says, We know that your God has given you the land. And the terror of you has fallen on all of us. Because he's given you the land, because we've heard how God dried up the Red Sea when he brought you out of Egypt, and because of what you all did to the kings on the other side of the Jordan. How you, in your, your translation is uh, in verse uh, 10, your translation probably says, How you utterly destroyed them. Is that what yours says? Yep. And that's true. Very true. It, the, actually, the word there is how you put them under the ban. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Okay, but it, I think it's very significant. That it, it, it's worded that way. Because they did utterly destroy them. They went in and they, they killed every man, woman, boy, and girl. It doesn't matter if you were a, a human being and had the breath of life, you were dead. That's why how they did it. How you utterly destroyed them. And he, she goes on to, to say, look, would you please, my life for yours, I know that your God is the only God in heaven and earth. When you all come in, would you spare me and my father's household? And the spies returned to, they returned to her, and that, you know, she said, I'm going to let you down uh, through, uh, through the, on the wall, let you all go. I want you to go, uh, three, uh, go and hide yourself for three days and then you can go back because by then the uh, men of the city will have come back. And the spies answer her and say, just as you said, our life for yours. Uh, if you, uh, we will make sure that we don't harm you or your father's household, but you've got to do this. Number one, uh, you and your father's household have to be in this area, your room, your, your house right here. If they're outside, we can't help you. But if they're in here, the blood will be on our hands. Also, you've got to hang this scarlet cord out from the window. If you don't hang this scarlet cord out from the window, we can't help you. And we find out, really, in, I, we can't prove this archaeologically, all right? I mean, but it's very interesting, and then the, nonetheless, that when they, they've done archaeological studies on Jericho, and they found, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about the, the walls of Jericho falling. But they found the walls from this area, and they, they have gone straight down. So the walls are intact, but below ground. Except for one area. Amazing. One area of the wall that didn't fall down. 
it was really remained standing. Don't know this, okay, but I can give a guess. Maybe that was where Rahab and her family were. But here's, here's the thing I really want us to, to ask ourselves this morning. Because, you know, when Rahab speaks, she says, I know that this, verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. We know that the Lord has given us the land, but do, you, do we feel like that the people of the world look on us with a holy fear? Do they look and go, boy, those Christians, we've got to be, be careful of them. I'm not saying be careful in a, in, a, in a bad way, but do they look on us with a holy fear? I don't think so. Now, I can see little pockets of it. I think probably in China. I think the, the rulers in China are a little bit fearful of the Christians. I really do. Because the, the church, the underground church in China is so thriving and so strong that the, the uh, powers in China, I think they're going, boy, we, if, if we don't do something about this, I, I think they know they're in trouble. Because the church is going to get to a tipping point and they're going to really realize who they are and they're going to start demanding in prayer that, that God replaces that, that government. And when it does, you're going to see China explode. You're going, to, you're going to see it explode in freedom. You're going to see it explode in, uh, financially and economically. You're going to see it explode with the gospel. You're going to see uh, China just absolutely go. It, it could be an awesome, awesome sight to see. And so I think the, the people who are in power in China right now, I think they're a bit fearful of what the church can do. I really do. But around here, I think it's pretty well directly the opposite. So I want to look at what can we do to help bring a holy fear back to our, uh, back to the United States and back to really a lot of the country, a lot of the di different countries in the world that don't have this holy fear. So number one, what, uh, it, what Rahab says is, we know that the Lord has given you the land. And we've talked, uh, we talked about this last week especially, so I'm not going to labor the point. But do you think the people in general, do you think they have any concept, those who are not Christians, do you think they have any concept that God has given us the land? I think most of the church has a concept that God's given us the land. <laughs> to be honest with you. So, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to labor the point because we talked about it last week at length and we've talked about it before. But we have, as a church, I know I've talked to you guys, but as a whole church in the world, in this country, in this state, we have to get it in our hearts that God has given us an inheritance. And that inheritance is the land. It's, it's our state. It's our cities. It's our country. I don't care if, if you're talking about Connecticut. I don't care if you're talking about Paris. 
God has given it to His church. And until we get that into our hearts, there's no way the people out there are going to have any concept. Because the church doesn't. But as soon as we start really getting that into our hearts, when the, when the church in China starts getting rumors all over China to say, you know what, really God's given us China? You want to talk about shaking in their boots? I'm going to tell you what. When, they start seeing, when this starts happening in North Korea, God's given us North Korea. And those, those ruling powers, this is, this is what we saw happen in East Germany. You know, all of a sudden, God wiped it off the map in a day. You know, and the church just went kaboom and exploded all over the land. And that's what can happen again. But the church needs to start realizing God has given us this land. And we need to start proclaiming it in such a way that those who are not part of the church hear it and they know about it. Next, she says this. She said that um, the Lord's given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on, on us and all the inhabitants of the land have melted away. But we've heard the Lord, how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. We've heard how the Lord dried the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. When you look at that uh, whole story of, of Exodus and how God raised up a deliverer, how God brought uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, you really see the story of salvation. Right? Everybody with me? I, I showed you the, the scripture out of 1 Corinthians last week that it says, and they were all baptized in the sea. Remember that? They were all baptized in the sea and under the cloud. Right? This is, a, this is salvation. And there is, a, there is a point where people fear God and get saved. And that's a good thing. To have a holy fear of, of, you know what? When you start looking at your sin, and you start realizing, my sin is greater than my, is, is great, and I can't get into heaven by anything that I do. That's a fearful thing. When you start looking and say, there is nothing I can do to get into heaven, and I'm a sinful person. That is a fearful thing. It's a good fear, right? And that's what I believe this is talking about more than anything. Is Rahab saying, look, you all, we saw what God did. And she, she herself realized that there was a God out there. He was the God of heaven and earth. And it wasn't the God that, that was being proclaimed in Canaan. It was the God of the Israelites. And she realized that. And she, she realized what they... She needed to be in the, the place of this God. Not in the place of being sitting in his place, but she needed to be in that people. Right? We need to restore the salvation and gospel message to this world. You know, I think about where the world is right now, and, and, and you look at so many of the things that are going on, whether it is... You're talking about the BLM movement, you know, which is a very Marxist idea. You talk about um, some of the 
you know, a Machiavellian or, or Marxist ideas of might makes right and, and everything that's going on at the very heart of it. And I, I like, you know, what, what Tim, Tim said, he said, it's just all a sin issue. It's just sin. It's just flat sin. And it's right. That's what it is. But, you know, what they're looking for, you know, they, they want a liberator. They, they want someone who is um, going to, uh, that you have people who are, who are um, being subjugated and they want somebody to redeem them from that. Oh, they, they see, people see themselves as the oppressed or the oppressor and they want somebody to liberate the oppressed. Who the greatest liberator in all of history is Jesus, right? Now, they need to, they need to switch their focus. It's sin, right? They ultimately, they are, they are enslaved to sin. But somebody needs to stand up and say, look, guys, it's sin. You want a liberator? Let me show you a liberator. They, people want fairness and they want equality and they, 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 want, they want to be able to have a voice. Jesus is the one that came and he, he brought more equality and, and, and we, always, we know that there's always... You know, um, there are positions, positions of authority of the Lord. But as far as salvation goes, He brought a. He is the great equalizer in all of history. He's the one that said, "I don't care if it's Jew or Gentile, or black or white, or or male or female. It, come on in, and you're going to have an inheritance." Amen. Right? Amen. We have to recover. The salvation message, and and it's not popular these days. But at the Great Awakening, it was look, guys, you are you, you have to turn, or you're going to burn. You have you have to turn. There is no other alternative. If you don't accept Jesus, you'll you'll you're gonna be you're gonna bust hell wide open. And we don't like that now. It's, it hurts our ears. It, you know, it's, it's oh, we've we, we got to be kind. Well, yeah, you do have to be kind and loving, but kind and loving is also telling the truth. And saying it's either Jesus or, or that's it. There's no alternatives. If we want the people that are not part of the church to begin to have that healthy and holy fear of God, we have to recover the message of salvation. We've got to recover the gospel. And we've got to be willing to speak it. Because if they don't hear, how will they know? We have to speak it boldly. We've got to let them know. Then she says this, Um, so have the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, verse 10 still, when you came up out of Egypt, and when you, uh, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, or who you put under the ban. Now, let me tell you why I, I believe this is, a, um, is very distinctive. Because what God was trying to set up was for the Israelites is it wasn't just about war. 
It wasn't about, hey, I'm going to make you into an army and I want you to go and just kill people. It wasn't just about having a war. It was a holy war. And there's a huge difference. It wasn't just about getting an army together to go and fight. It was about God's holiness. Let me, um, let me show you just a couple of things. Uh, flip over to Deuteronomy 20. Okay, just a few pages back. Uh, let's see here. I can pull some of this out. The whole the whole passage is is basically about holy war. Um, start with verse one. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. When you're approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. You notice the priest shall come. He shall say to them. Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Did you hear that before? Don't be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. It says the officers should speak to the people um, and they, they ask the different questions. Hey, is there anybody who's just gotten married or you're about to get married? Go home. If there's anyone who needs to go do this, go home. If there's anybody who's faint-hearted... Go home. Right? Um, verse 10, When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. Alright, so this is, this is an option. You know, uh, Rahab says, Hey, I surrender. I want to be, be part of your group. I, I call your God my God. And that's what she, she's come, um, she comes and be, becomes part of Israel. Look also um, at Deuteronomy 23. Start at verse 9. Deuteronomy 23. When you go out as an army against your enemies, you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. You get that? If there... Um, uh, then skip down because some of this is just what you need to do um, to be okay. Um, verse 14, Since the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to defeat your enemies before you, therefore your camp must be holy. He must not see anything indecent among you or he will turn away from you. Did you get that? It's a holy War. That's what the whole idea of putting under the ban is. Is you are saying this place that we're going to go and make war against is for God. It's a holy war. In fact, what they what they did is they they killed all human life, and they took all the treasures and they put all the treasures in God's house. And if you're somebody outside, that would be pretty scary. But the idea is, it's about holiness. I look at the world around us today, and I see the church that looks just about like the world <coughs> in almost every way. 
you know, I think about, I, we, we had another Christian leader, evangelical leader, who, who went crash and burn this week. And there's so much of that that takes place. And I'm not, I, I don't want to put any blame and guilt on, on, on him. Except to say this, holiness has to be where we are. Because the world is looking. And it's about being a holy company of people. Now that, does, that doesn't mean that we're legalistic. Legalism will kill you. It will. If when you're all, all about the rules and all about the laws and all about the how, how, how holy do I have to be in order to be okay with God. It, no, no, no. You're okay with God. But because you're okay with God, He wants you to act a certain way. You know, it's like if I, if I tell my girls, hey, <coughs> girls, you're in the duck clan and this is how we act as, as, as ducks. We, we, we get in a line and quack. <laughs> no, I say, this, this, is how, this is how my girls act. When you go out, you do this. When you, because this is, this is my group, right? And I, I get to say that about, about my, my family. Okay, Th- this is how duck girls act. This is how duck girls dress. If they didn't, that doesn't mean they're less of a duck girl, right? But because you are, this is how you act. Now, everybody else who acts that way doesn't mean they're duck girls, right? They can dress the same, they can talk the same, they can act the same way at dinner. Doesn't, those are my kids. You all are God's kids. He loves you. He doesn't say, these are the rules to get to be my kids. He says, you are my kids. And I love you. And because you're my kids, this is how I want you to act as my kids. And in that fashion, we have to be a holy people set apart for God so that the world will look on us and go, "Uh uh-oh, they're different. They're holy. And in that and this is where the rubber starts to meet the road. In that, they become, they start to have a holy fear. When we heard it, verse 11, when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven, above, and on earth beneath. Where the rubber meets the road is that God is the one that provides the holy fear to people that are not in the church. God's the one that instills that. God's the one that brings terror to them. I'm saying a holy terror. I'm not saying go out and scare people on Halloween. Okay, It's a holy (laughs) fear of God. God's the one who does that. Remember when the Israelites went in before? And they came out, and they were afraid. And then God said, no, you're not going into the promised land. And they said, yeah, we'll go in anyway. Remember this? And Moses said, there, I, I'm not going with you. The ark's not going with you. God's not going with you. They went in, and they got whooped. 
and came back out and went, I guess, I guess we'll stay on this side. The people weren't afraid. The Canaanites weren't afraid of Israel then. Why? Because God didn't go with them. God didn't bring that holy fear. Why is that? It's because they themselves did not fear. If we want a holy fear of God to fall on people around us, a holy fear of God to say, hey, we need to bring ourselves into salvation, a holy fear of God to say, hey, we better start acting right because these Christians are acting right. A holy fear of God that says, you know what, if we don't run our government right, the Christians are going to start praying and oh my goodness, God's going to come and he's going to do something and he's going to change the entire government around us. How is that fear? When the church gets the fear of God, then God will instill, instill the fear of God in others. But we've lost it. Oftentimes we, uh, we see we see scripture that will say um, you know, for fear they put reverence. And it's true. We need to be reverence. We need to reverence the Lord. That's absolutely true. But it's a lot more than that. When you, when you fear the Lord Again, it's not it's not a fear of it's not a fear like a, um, a a bad fear. It is a fear of you know when uh, um, when you're a kid and your mom says just wait till your dad gets home. I'm, he's going to take care of this. I I saw a um, I saw a meme that that had John Wayne and said. The problem with kids is they don't they don't know the uh, the sound of leather coming through um through twelve straps around your waist, you know it's that whoosh, I'm gonna take the belt out and, and watch out you know that's a holy fear you go when my dad gets home I'm gonna be in real trouble right that's a holy fear of your dad you know your dad loves you I'm not saying a dad who is is awful. I'm saying a dad who loves you and cares about you and wants to make sure that you grow up right. And he loves you so much and he wants that he's willing to to he's willing to give you disciplines in order to make it happen. Right? That's the fear of God, knowing that we have a holy God. That we don't have to work for our salvation, but we, we are in reverence saying, Lord, I want to please you. I don't want to get out of line because I love you so much. I know, I know you can make me a lump of coal. I know you can do that. You, you are so holy. I, I, you're inapproachable, but because of Jesus, you've brought me close. Help me to walk in that. There's... There's a holy fear that comes when you get into the presence of God and you realize that everything around you is, is carnal in, in some way. And, and you just have to be quiet. and You just have to tread lightly. It's the holy fear like Isaiah. He sees the Lord high and lifted up and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He said, I'm ruined. 
because he was in the presence of a holy God. When we recover as a church that fear of the Lord, then he will instill that holy fear on those who are outside the church. We want to we want to see people come to know the Lord. We want to see people accept Him as their Lord and their Savior. But we want to look just like them. We have a church that says, let's look just like the world and then maybe, we'll, maybe people will like us too. And it doesn't work. It, only, it, will, it will begin to work when we recover that holy fear. How the only way to, to say this is to say that it's a grace. It's a grace of God that comes. And I would like us to, as a church, to begin to, to pray that God will give us this holy fear. I've 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 experienced probably this that much of it. Because it's one of the deepest, it's one of the deepest um, anointings. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 11. I read this to begin with, but I want to show you this to you. Isaiah 11. And then I'm going to close up here pretty quickly. Isaiah 11. I'm sure that you've seen some of this, especially around Christmas time. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So that, by the way, that's the sevenfold spirit of God. You wonder what the seven spirits of God are in the book of Revelation to pop up? Right here. It's the sevenfold spirit of, of, of the Lord. Okay? And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Notice this is, this is talking about Jesus, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Okay, there, there it goes. See, he's going forth in battle for us, right? Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, faithfulness the belt about his waist, and here's the result. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion are fowling together, and a little boy will lead them. Look at verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 9. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. You see that? Where does, where does this come from? Because that's what we're looking for, right? The earth being full of the knowledge of the, of the Lord as the waters cover it. Anybody know where a sea covers that it's dry? If the sea covers it, is there any place that's dry? No. This, this, this is not a hard question. <laughs> if the sea covers it, it's wet. The, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's, it, there's, 
is going to cover the earth. How? This anointing. The fear of the Lord. The Lord will start warring for us and fighting our battles for us. And again, as I said last week, we're not talking about swords and guns. Okay? We're talking about God going forth and bringing people to Himself and using us to do it. We're talking about nations that don't say, uh, I'm going to bow my knee to King Jesus, ceasing to be nations any longer, and God opening up the door so that His church can be fruitful. How does it come? It comes when we seek the Lord in such a way that we say, okay, Lord, I want this sevenfold anointing on me. I want it. Whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes in my life. Whatever you need to get rid of in me, get rid of it. If there's something that is in my heart, maybe that is, maybe you're holding animosity against somebody. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, maybe it's fear. There's a lot of things in this world that we, that we fear, which is an unhealthy fear. If you fear the Lord, there's nothing else to fear. Get that into your heart. If you fear God, there's nothing else to fear. I don't care what it is. You can go against the firing squad. If you fear the Lord, there's nothing to fear. We need to pursue this with such passion that we have this, that, we, that we're asking continually, Lord, let this sevenfold anointing follow me. And I'll tell you, it, it may start out with, with the uh, wisdom and understanding. It might go to the, to the counsel and the might. The knowledge, the fear of the Lord is one of the, the bedrock. It's one of the deepest when we get to that point where we, and, and that's, that's what I believe, you know, the, the, the people in the, in the wilderness just kept on going until they really developed that fear of the Lord. And God's going to keep the church going around in circles until we develop this fear of the Lord. And when we do, when we start really putting everything, because we've received this anointing, we received it, we received a holy, holy fear of the most holy and most high God. And he'll say, okay, now's the time. And he'll start bringing people because he will put his holy fear on them. That they will either, they will either rent their hearts and say, I want to be with whatever it is, wherever it is you're going, I'm with you. Or they'll throw up their hands and say, I give up. You lead the way. I give. I can't stand in the way. But it starts with us. It starts with us giving everything up within us. Our good deeds, our bad deeds, our good thoughts, our bad thoughts, anything that doesn't line up with with what the Lord has and what He's saying, we give all that up and pursue Him. Pursue this anointing. Pursue His holiness. Pursue His kingdom. And when we get to the level and the depth of the fear of the Lord, let me tell you, I believe it will be a harvest like none other. And we can get there. We can get there. That's what He wants for us.
It's really and truly what he wants. It takes time, it takes prayer, it takes getting into his presence, and it takes us being a holy people, getting rid of all the junk in us. Not in order to become his, but because we are his. And we want to be as close to him as we possibly can. I started this service by praying and praying this anointing over us. I want to end in the same way. And if you would, if you just open, I'd like you just, if, if you want to receive this, open your hearts to receive. And you may, hopefully you'll get a full whammy, okay? But, but if, the Lord will give you something. If you want to receive, He'll at least give you something this morning. And let's start with the something and let's go deeper. And let's, let's not... As a deer pants for the waters, let's not ever quit. Let's go as deep as we possibly can. Lord, I thank you Thank you for your spirit that you have said that you pour out upon us without measure. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, that you poured out on the day of Pentecost and haven't quit. Thank you for your spirit, O Lord, that you command us to be filled by your spirit. Be continually filled, not just a one-time experience. Lord, thank you that you are the one who said that you would send another comforter, one like yourself, and that he would teach us and that he would be with us. By your Spirit, you are with us always. Now, O Lord, I ask that you would send another measure, a greater measure of your Holy Spirit to us. Even, Lord, as you took upon yourself the sevenfold Spirit of God, and we are your body, O Lord, let us be drenched by your Spirit this morning. I ask that the the Spirit of the Lord would come upon us this morning. I ask that the Spirit of wisdom and understanding would come upon us this morning. Lord, I ask that the the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of might would come upon us this morning. Oh Lord, send us the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Let the sevenfold spirit of the Lord come upon us this morning. Lord, I ask that you would send your gifts. Give us a revelation, a greater revelation of you. Lord, I ask that there would be people in here that would be, and, and listening online this morning that would be caught up into the presence of the Lord and would see uh, you seated high on your throne. Lord, I ask that you would bring us into a greater revelation that it would change our hearts and our minds and our lives and every, everything that we put our hands to, let it be changed because we have experienced and we've come face to face with our Savior.
Lord, send your presence and let it change us. Let us be changed in your glory. When we get into your glory, we, when we, when we, the one we worship is who we become like. Lord, let us become more and more like you. When we get into your glory, we're changed into your glory. Oh Lord, let us be in your presence and be changed into looking more like you. But Lord, I humbly ask and say we can't do it ourselves. Please send your glory on us. Send your Holy Spirit to change us, O oh Lord. We want to change the world. Change us first. Change us first, Lord. Make us into a people of God, an army that you can order. An army that has the full armor, your armor on us. Thank you for it, Lord. I ask this week that you would visit people in this room, those listening online. Lord, visit them this week. I ask that you would be faithful where your word says that we, if we draw near to you that you'll draw near to us. I ask that, that each person this week that as they draw near to you that you will come and that you will grace us with your presence in a powerful way. Every person here and anyone who wants it, Lord, I, I ask that you'd be faithful and that you would come with your presence in a more powerful way than what we've experienced before that as we draw near to you, that you will sovereignly, sovereignly come and rest upon us. As we gather together, Lord, I ask that you would do the same. That you would amazingly come with your presence. Fill this place and fill each of us. Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Love you bunch. And um, this week, let's let's do that together. Let me just challenge you once again. As we get into His presence this week, as you pursue, be ready, be expectant that the Lord's going to come in a powerful way. And if you're, if you're willing, I want to hear some testimonies next week of people saying, you know what, I was praying and all of a sudden the Spirit of God fell upon me. Okay? So let's be expectant that God's going to start changing us. Because if we want to change the world, 
But the thing is, he's got to change us first. And he's got to make us ready. So uh, if we're willing, he'll do it. And he can do it quickly. Because I, I believe I know, I, I know your heart's enough to know that, you know, we're, we're just, we're ready to go. So he'll do it. Amen. God bless you guys. I tomatoes, basil, and...